Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome once again to SkySpecs Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Lights, head of marketing here at SkySpecs. My co-host is our CRO, Josh Borrell, and our guest for today is Jeremy Law, who is the VP of Commercial Asset Management at Long Road Energy. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Before we roll into these deep, hard-hitting questions that we have for you today, we like to start with a few softballs and and just kind of lighten the mood. Um, One of the questions we have for you is, what is your dream vacation spot? Dream vacation spot. See, I told you, I didn't, I didn't really have yeah. questions. So, um, you know, my dream vacation spot would be certainly on a sailboat somewhere warm. So I'm a big sailor, like sailing with my family. So I would, I would say dream vacation spot would be the middle of the Pacific, a place called Palmyra Atoll on a sailboat. That was, that's, that's going to happen. But so we'll list that as the dream. That sounds amazing, especially right now when we're starting to get some snow. I exactly. I would switch spots. Yeah. Exactly. Wait, I feel like we can't stop there. So do you do you have like a sailboat then? Or like is uh I used to sail for a, a long, like pre um, feels like previous life. Used to sail for a living. I'm I'm in a I'm a big fan of letting someone else own the sailboat and then I will <laughs> I'm happy to sail it. Um but uh yeah. yeah, so we used to sail a lot throughout the Pacific and went to this, there's this like little pristine atoll that no one lives on or is able to that's owned by the nature conservancy that is like, you know, it's like a, it's like an aquarium. Um, so that's, that's the place to go. Do you think it's in the cards coming up here? You get, you get it on the books yet? I think I got a lot of work still to do before I can uh, <laughs> step away for convince my bosses that, Hey, you know what? You should let me step away for a few months to sail around the Pacific. So we'll, we'll just, you know, We'll keep working on these these big projects, and then I'll be able to go. Yeah, just drop subtle hints in a podcast, and maybe exactly. <laughs> exactly maybe you know my boss will pick this up and go, "Hey, that's a good idea." No, yeah, yeah, we should yeah. give him a break. That's eventually in the cards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one more for you. Um, what's the unique talent you have? Unique talent. I mean, I have two kids, one which is a teenage daughter, and she would say, there aren't, dad, you have no unique talents. So <laughs> I'm going to have to, uh, other than annoying her. So let me think. I guess I would say unique talent. Sure, I'll say um, wood-fired pizza making. So I built a outdoor pizza oven during COVID, because why not? Um, yeah. And I am the neighborhood, like, throw up the pizza flag, come on over pizza guy. So we'll call that for the unique talent. I have, I have a unique talent to invite 25 people over to our house, but my <laughs> wife would be really happy to have no one. We'll go with that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Any specific toppings that you like the best? You know, um, I am like a salty... I, I would go, like, if it was anything, it'd be like a little bit of bacon... And then throw in some spice, some like like fresh jalapenos, something like that. Keep it pretty simple. Not no barbecue chicken, none of that okay. craziness. Yeah, yeah. No. you got you got to say that during lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I'm now getting hungry. We're all hungry. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Um, well, let's let's get rolling into some of the good stuff. Before we go into some of the, the actual Q&A, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey into your current role and how you got into what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So, um, so head of asset management here at Long Road, I got kind of my start as, as we kind of talked about with, um, uh, that I used to sail ships for a living. So I feel like I've had a few careers. Um, so came up in the Coast Guard, um, sailed in the Coast Guard for a number of years, um, kind of patrolling kind of various places around the U.S. Um, and then sailed tall ships for a number of years, uh, kind of think study abroad program, right? So tall ship captain sailed with, um, took college students kind of all around the world. So um, you're like, why would you ever leave that? Well, it turns out it's a lot of fun and it pays precisely nothing. So at the point where you actually need to make a salary, um, and my wife was also not, you know, I met her on, on one of these sailing trips. So one of us needed to make a real salary and you know the as we flipped the coin we said whoever found the first one um so uh i jumped from that to um actually working at a turbine oem and uh uh why that was because some really good resume drafting uh about 15 years ago of saying well listen i work with wind for a living right so i mean i do this every day so of course that should transfer to to the wind business um so Anyway, long story short, uh, got in, you know, transitioned to the wind, wind business at that time. Um, it was just crazy times, uh, of which I feel like they seem to never stop, but this is like 08, 09, um, you know, boom time for wind, but also crazy time with what was going on, um, you know, economically with the uh, mortgage crisis. So. Um, jumped in with Clipper Wind Power, um, right? So all sorts of issues with Clipper um, over the years, but um, had actually had a really good number of years there. Um, and then just kind of worked up progressively. So I started out in the operation side of the house, running sites, um, eventually transitioned over the business side just because it was uh, interesting and decisions that were being made that affected the operation side. I wanted to understand better. So Kind of went back to school, got my business degree, moved over to the commercial side, kind of dabbled in the finance side for a few years to learn that piece of the business. And, you know, in retrospect, I feel like that all kind of led to where I am today, which is on the asset management side. It kind of it blends both of those worlds, right? So now at, at Long Road, we're developer, owner, operator, um, you know, kind of small size, mid-size, I guess. Um, call it three and a half gigawatts or so that we're managing um, about 50, 50 wind and solar and um, yeah. And just enjoy the challenge of this industry, right. And enjoy the challenge of, of bringing team together to try to sort out all the problems that this industry faces, which, you know, there's some unique ones, but it's also just kind of similar challenges of any industry that's trying to grow really quickly. um, Whether it's new technology or whether it's, you know, integrating storage into our projects. Um, so that's what brings it to today, right? And it's like, as we at Long Road, we look forward towards um, building and owning a whole lot of projects, um, which right now seems like a whole lot of solar and storage, and then increasingly kind of more wind projects coming back into our portfolio over the coming years. I don't know if that, does that give you a good flavor? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
I, I guess it kind of a, a follow-up to that too. So just out of curiosity, like in those 15 years, if you think about back to the days when you're you're on site with 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 Clipper, how have things changed? What have been the biggest changes that that you've seen? And I guess have things moved as quick as you would have thought, or are there things where still same challenges that you used to see 15 years ago? Can you speak to a little bit of that? Have things kind of accelerated to the point that you thought they would or not as quickly? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say certain things have accelerated and certain things, you know, just remain as true now as they did then, right? So on one hand, I'd say the power of having a a well-trained, well-compensated, sharp group of folks on site, the value of that has not changed no matter how anybody wants to talk about having machine learning or AI or advanced algorithms or anything. You know, at the end of the day, so much comes down to do you have a good team of technicians on site who are stable and who you, you know, compensate well so that they are they can stay in that role. Um so that like that's one thing I would say that has not changed and as far as I can tell will not change, right? Is that we need to invest in our people. We need to make sure those people are trained. We need to make sure those people are in careers that they can stay with um, for the long haul, no matter how many times these projects change hands, um, which feels like it happens every other day with these things. Um, so that's how, what's not changed. I mean, certainly what has changed is on the data side. I mean, the the opportunity to do things with data absolutely has changed. Whether it's changed faster than any of us expected, uh, I don't know if I'd say that. It has changed a lot. I feel like throughout my time in wind and solar, there's always been this talk of, oh, now it's machine. Now machine learning is the way, or now digital clones is is the way. I, I don't think it's happened faster than we would have expected, but the power of it is here, right? And the power of it is certainly, I would say, dispersed. Right? It's like there are lots of companies doing one piece of it or multiple pieces of it. And I feel like we're in that time right now of like that consolidation is starting to happen um, where maybe it's becoming a little clearer of like, if you work with this player, like they can do more than just one thing. Um, but yeah, that's what I would probably say. I think the data side um, accelerating through and then where we sit as an industry today, again, this isn't wind side, it's more just renewable side. The arrival of storage has finally happened, right? Like we have kind of all been talking about it, like it's gonna happen. It right, it's here. Um, so if we're not pairing big projects with storage, then you're just not building big projects generally. Um yeah. so you said that you really like the challenges that the industry faces. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing right now? And and do you think, you know? storage what you said is is like the biggest opportunity or is there something else i mean there, yeah there's there's so many right so um you know you can almost go by generation type what the main challenges are and then there's probably some that that cover all generation types so for sure you've got on the wind side a number of issues right you've got aging assets um, so we're all kind of dealing with what comes from that, right? Whether it's blade issues or gearbox issues or any 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 ho any number of issues. Some of it comes actually with 
helpful things though over time on the wind side, right? Like we now have a lot of data on gearbox life, for example, right? So it's less surprises on particular on those types of components that you can monitor pretty easily. So like I think about the wind side and I think about aging fleet. Then I think about the wind side and I think about how rough of a time the OEMs have had, right? So that that reverberates through the business, right? Like you, you don't have to look very far to realize that the wind OEMs have had a tough few years, um, particularly with some of the supply chain chat supply chain challenges and inflation side. So that's kind of where I group wind is you know, we need OEMs to be healthy for sure. Um but we also need to build projects that are profitable or we don't build projects, right? So there's a tension there that for the longest time, it was, you're always just cutting the price, cutting the price, cutting the price. And it feels like we kind of got to the bone with OEMs. So now we're in this kind of rebound point of can PPAs bear a little bit more? Don't know, right? I, I think that's a project by project challenge. And then, you know, when I think about Solar, I, I continue to kind of, in a lot of ways, group solar in the like just a little bit younger wind, right? Which means there's a lot of obsolete technology um, or technology that will soon be obsolete. Um, and so there's a lot of lessons from wind that I think we can apply to solar um, and that we're learning now. And then on the storage side, it's just the Wild West, right? Like this is people are just this you could again you could learn from a fair bit i don't i'm not i don't pretend it all translates but you can learn a fair bit from the wild west days of wind and solar too where guarantee oems are signing up way more megawatts right now and gigawatts than like they're signing up gigawatts and have not yet delivered a megawatt right so and they haven't operated a megawatt they haven't operated a kilowatt right so like if you if you think about just that of we've lived that we've all lived that right so those have been around lots of us right we've lived lived it so you know what's going to happen right i mean you you can't go from i've never built one to i'm going to build a thousand or ten thousand a million whatever it is and i've never operated one you can't go through that without a whole lot of breakage so what excites me is taking the lessons that we learned know that some of this breakage is going to happen and then prepare for it. Um, and, you know, it's not like the sky is falling. These are problems we know how to solve. So just don't be surprised by them. What, what about, I mean, it is really interesting, right? Like kind of even like the macro dynamics at, at play, right? With, again, the ag- aggressive growth targets and with with the IRA. But like, meanwhile, like on the ground, there's 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 a lot of challenges, right? And sometimes it feels like the dirty little secret that not enough people talk about. I know as an industry, we're, we're talking about it more. But I guess if you think about from like, maybe for wind specifically on the operations front, I think somewhere, I mean, we talk a lot about this, right? Where um, installed capacity goes up four and a half, five X, but then like labor is only going to go up two X just because there's not enough technicians to to support the the industry, right? And then also couple that with OEM challenges that, that are that are public and supply chain shortages. So like, um, I, this is just kind of like doubling down yeah. on the question, but just curious from like your perspective, like what, what do you, where, where do you think the industry goes, goes from here and how do we kind of, how do you think we'll kind of stay, stay ahead of, ahead of some of this? Cause it's a big, big challenge. Well, it's, 
there is there is just a ton of value there, right? So the 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 system will work. I mean, even when there is breakage, I would say the system will work, right? So these are particularly when you're talking about like you have a, you know, unlike unlike um, you know, fossil generation and when you're you're so dependent on fuel price, like we already built the project, right? So the incentive to operate the project well is certainly there. Right. So even amongst all of the noise and it is painful um, when it kind of goes through these big gyrations, the industry goes through these big gyrations. I mean, ultimately, you have an asset that's there that is ready to generate energy. And if it's doing it poorly because you haven't we haven't done a good job of keeping a stable workforce there, the, I, I guess I, I kind of go back to the market forces would would suggest that you will, you know, someone will step into that. And I mean, it's not like, not like blindly hoping for that. What I mean is like, if you're an owner, you have the incentive to figure it out, right? So whether that figure it out means, you know, if you're not doing well with a particular OEM service provider and you, that means there's a gap there, right? And so someone will step into that gap that, and that doesn't necessarily have to be an OEM. It could be a third party. We've seen this in the industry, right? Like if you're not doing a great job, then you see that that the market kind of works um, or people shift to a self-perform model. So, I mean, I know there's not like a specific that I'm pointing to there other than to say, because so much of this is capital cost and there really is no fuel cost. I mean, there's maintenance cost, but there's no fuel cost. Like there's a heavy incentive for all of us to figure out how better to run these projects and i tend to think when there's a heavy incentive like that we will we will figure out a way yeah i think it's just like probably just natural like the industry maturing right there's a lot of opportunities for new operating models and things that we'll start to see so at least from my perspective i think it's a super exciting time in the in the industry especially with technology and lots of new new service providers and um yeah it's, it's cool stuff yeah, I mean the rough the 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 flip side of the coin of the exciting part of it is just the how much is lost in the I'll call it, you know, whether it's project turnover or company there's just the lack of stability you know, there's a there's a real cost to that. Um and it's a you know, that I would almost call that the dirty little secret in some ways of right just like M&A and the you know, in the corporate world, right, where, you know, people talk about synergies when you crash two companies together and the dirty little secret is like, really? Like how many, how many actually generated value when you crash those two companies together other than being able to raise a bunch of debt or do a new financing, right? Um, you know, I think that's a challenge that we all need to face is how do we, I understand these, these assets are going to change hands because there's a heavy incentive to do so. And the project within the project life cycle, there's various points that it makes sense for a different, you know, a different type of capital to come in. Um, a challenge for us, and we think about it a lot on the operating side, on the asset management side, is how while while that's all happening, you know, maybe I kind of think of it up top, you know, how do we just keep things steady at the asset level, or at the project level? So I think consolidating a little bit of who the service providers are will help there like go to you know kind of a flight to quality and stability will help um 
And I suppose on the data side, to the degree we can get to a consistent, almost universal kind of data language and how we're looking at projects. And and again, back to if there's only a few players collecting that data, that's probably helpful. Um, because somehow we do all that noise of when these things change hands, we need to we need to stop having that flow down. Um, because at the end of it, you've got some, you know, you got some guy in Kansas who or some man or woman in Kansas who's the technician who just got told that the place that they are working is changing hands again. Um, and that ends up coming with a cost. Uh, so to the degree we can keep that steady or buffer it, I think we'd all be we'd all be pretty happy if we can. Yeah, that transition has to be seamless, right? I mean, it is great. Even just the last three, four months, right? The amount of MA activity and sites changing, changing hands. And I mean, we even with us as a company have to think about, all right, now it's from here, now it's got to be sent to sent to here. And yeah, to your point, more more standards are are needed. Yep. And the people you're talking to change, right? So you know, it still it still is a I mean, right, it's still a relationship business. So if all of a sudden you aren't talking to the same person, well, then the projects you were working on with that person that you were making really good strides with, they're gone, right? So anyway, or they could be gone. I think we have to figure out a way for that not to be the case. Um, and I suppose as there's, in some ways, as there's fewer companies like SkySpecs, right? And as there's fewer companies who are aggregating data and there's fewer companies, Part of it would say, as long as the, if the ecosystem is working the way that it should and you keep it and leave it alone, then the ownership can change, right? Um, that, that's, that's somewhat my pipe dream is that eventually you'll get to the point where the folks actually working on the projects and handling the projects like just generally don't change because that stability is really valuable. Um, and then sure, the ownership can change, but that's just, you're just directing the data to somebody else. Fine. That's a pipe dream though. Just so we're clear, Josh, like that's <laughs> so far, <pipe> dream. 15 <laughs> years in, not it's, yet there. Yeah. It's idealistic, right? But yeah. I didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was, it was, I was listening to something about, um, even just with like the boom in us offshore, right. You're like these port towns actually, cause you're, you're up in the Northeast, right. Um, yep. Yeah. So like in, in these, these areas where there's these new offshore sites and you're talking about job creation, thousands of jobs, but again, it's time-based, right? Like once, once the projects go into operation, um, then those jobs may or may not be needed. I mean, then hopefully new sites will be built, but if, if it is seamless for, for, for labor too, then it, it makes it a lot, a lot easier. I think it's important for the industry. Jeremy, can you share just a little bit about, um, obviously kind of what's what's out there like publicly just about like long road um long roads just like strategy and like kind of is it in in ipp or um are you guys kind of focused on development of, of new assets or looking at a lot of a lot of m a maybe just kind of some more more info about about long row and how you guys think about the world and think about growth sure sure yeah um yeah, and I don't think anything else share at this point is a is kind of a secret in in any way. So, so when Long Road formed, I would say we formed in for a in we formed from a bunch of folks who you know generally had been the, the, a set of folks who had worked at um and started and worked at First Wind. So we were very kind of a wind focused group um that had gone through 
you know, a little bit of got, got acquired that didn't work out and just kind of exploded a little bit. So then we restarted as long road in 2016. Um, but kind of had, had the core team. Um, so had the core team, had the view of how we wanted to develop projects. And I would say for the first kind of six years or so, we were very much focused on, um, develop, construct, mostly sell. Um, we kind of, we would hold some assets, um, when it made sense and we would kind of mostly be selling our projects either at financial close or at COD. We would frequently and in, in most cases continue to operate. So the, the model was, um, develop, build, sell the equity in the project. And if they wanted to keep our service team on, then we would stay on and we'd do full asset management. So that, that worked really well for that call it six years for six years of our, our, um, you know, call it company life. We've, we've shifted recently, um, to a more, to more of a hold, um, strategy. So I would say as we look forward, um, our strategy is much more on the hold side, just, just to, you know, we've kind of grown up a bit as a business. Um, that means that having that kind of what we think about, like you to use a ship term, like that ballast of having, um, operating assets is just is helpful, right? We, we, we find it really, it's powerful in the development business. It makes us better developers. You know, being owners makes us better asset managers and operators. And by the same token, being owners makes us better developers. And then the vice versa is true, right? Like we're better owners because we have people out there developing every day. Um, so on the go forward side, I would say we're very much looking to, um, develop and then hold. And technology wise, I mean, we've always been, I would call it opportunistic in that, you know, every deal gets evaluated on its own merits, right? Every project gets evaluated on its own merits. We've never just not really in our DNA to say, you know, we are going to do two gigawatts of solar this year. Like, okay, is it good solar? Are they good projects? Are they like, like, okay, like, but did you make money at that? Did you build a good project? Right? So we've more been, here are the six projects we're going to do this year. And we know that we can drive those. So very kind of execution focused is who we are. We stuck with that. Um, So even though we've got certainly have growth targets, I would say it's still very much, you know, we'll do a project when it's a good project. And, and when that, project no longer looks like it's a good project, we'll step away. Um, and that, that thing won't work. So um, where that le- has led us in recent years has been a whole lot of solar, right? So for obvious reasons around tax credits, uh, solar had, had some advantages over wind in the kind of recent past. Um, as the IRA uh, got passed, that's, you know, shifted us back towards um, wind, um, you know, increasing the mix of wind and and similarly, right, there's almost not a solar RFP that doesn't have storage attached to it. So, you know, we're making a big press into storage um, because you have to. Uh, and it's an exciting transformation for the grid, right? So it's it's an exciting transformation to, to be almost be able to consider yourself as kind of a base generation type instead of, you know, fully just an intermittent. So if we can start being a dispatchable generation source yeah i mean and you have to be right you've seen it in the, there's not a surprise why which markets are asking for storage first right because when you get that much penetration 
all of a sudden that penetration becomes really painful um, if you don't have storage. So yeah, I'd say that's where that's where we are. And then on the kind of service side of our business, we've we've always had a bit of providing service for third parties as well as providing service for our owned assets. Um, I think that will continue. That will continue on a um we're not kind of out marketing that. It's very much a like key relationships with a few folks who it makes sense. Um, we will continue to do that. It makes us again, it kind of goes back to it makes us better operators of our own assets. And we think that being owners makes us good operators of others. Um, so that I think that mix will stay there. What does a typical day in the day in the life of Jeremy Law look like? What what was your day look like? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good question. So it's probably yeah, very well there there are a few typical days, right? Depends if there is a you know, what 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 major issue are we dealing with today? Um, yeah. No, but you know, I, I think uh, joke, joking aside, I think like anyone who's got a big installed base, it's right. It's always some mix of which is what keeps it fun, right? It's always some mix of is there a particular fire to deal with today? Um, the way I like for for me, as I think about myself, like what I the way I like to think about it is I'm here as backup for my team, right? So. The way that I try to structure it is, which is, you know, sometimes this industry challenges this kind of logical approach, but I would say the logical approach is when one of the, one of my team has a problem at a particular site that's large enough that it's kind of knocking them back a little bit, right? That's when I'm there. I'm their backup, right? So whether it's a hailstorm or a blade that snaps in half or a, you know, repowering a site or, or kind of any number of those types of things. So it's kind of that, that firefighting that, that frankly, well, the way we used to talk about it in a previous industry is like the crisis is over the minute you find out about it, right? It's no longer a crisis. It's just a project, right? We just have a project to work on. Okay. There was a hailstorm. You damaged 500,000 modules. Okay. All right. Well, there's insurance and there's replacements and there's EPCs and there's modules, right? Like this is what we do. So nobody's running around with their hair on fire anymore. Now it's time to just work the problem. So we we try to take that approach, um, kind of lower the temperature for sure. Um, and then like anybody in the industry, right? There's always the eye towards just how can we be better at this, right? So I think firefighting is fun, but to the fact that like we are causing our own fires by not being well organized in particular ways. Well, try to take a little of my day to say, all right, well, maybe we can put one little brick in place that makes keeps us from having the next fire in that. Just turn turn that next uncontrollable event into something that's a little less exciting. What are some of those things that you're putting in place to try to lessen the fires that you guys are dealing with? Well, I mean, like, you know, I'll, I'll give you the shameless marketing plug, right? Like whether it's a, you know, it's kind of sky specs type implementation, right? So some number of years ago, we said, guys, we're going to, we're going to inspect all of our blades. And we got some pushback on that, right? Even from some of our third party owners, like, why, hold on, why are you guys, why are you saying my project needs to spend money and pay for a system to know what my blades are. And I said, because 
I can, I, I don't know when, but I can guarantee you we're going to end up in a fight with an OEM. I, but it's a 20 year agreement. I'm like, yep. And we, I, and we can either set our clocks by when that OEM actually ends up exiting that particular contract for some reason, or you have a dispute over the condition of that blade, or there's a lightning damage that you have to argue actually was a warranty issue. So I think it's things like that, right? Because uh, so, so like using sky specs as an example, now we have all of our blade condition understood, right? At least we, uh, at least we understand it and it's in a way that's ranked. It's not exciting, right? Like when it comes budget time, we can just say how many category fours or category, like, what do you want to, where do you want to draw the line? Right? Like, there's damage on every, you know, you can right now say that there's some amount of damage on every single site, no matter when that site was built. So now, so it's not a question of, is there damage? It's how much is it and what category is it? So how much money do we have to fix? Okay. Well, maybe we can do it at 3.5. Maybe we can do it at four. Um, so I think things like that, I think now, given what we talked about at the beginning about data availability and some of the great systems that are out there, much of the time is spent, how do we leverage a particular system to make our jobs a little bit easier? Um, and it's, it's easier more in the case of to see a problem sooner and to just be able to make it again, like it's just part of the day to day, right? Not not a surprise that all of a sudden you get a phone call that says a blade snapped in half and you say how could that possibly happen no like if something it's gonna happen but like if it happens and then you're like looking at oh we'll see we saw shoot like now that we see it we see that slight crack that was there it turns out actually that that was much worse than we thought it was and here's how we can apply that to the rest of our fleet so that we can go catch those now um, rather than what used to happen not that many years ago, right? In some cases, probably still happens where like a blade snaps in half and people say, all right, send all the technicians out to inspect all the blades. Like, okay, the cow has fully left the barn and is like running <laughs> down the road at this point. So <laughs> let's, let's not be there. I don't know. Is that, that like, does that example make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Are there any other areas outside of? Well, the shameless plug for that <laughs> that you guys are focusing on for for next year. Um, big, I would say, kind of a so the way we think about it, and it's just I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's the way we thought about it is, you know, we we think about our kind of our sky spec system as our as a I'll say a tool on reliability engineering, right? A tool for finding, in simple terms, finding broken stuff, right? That mm-hmm. is going to result in a cost. Um, so I kind of think about it like OPEX control is how I think about sky specs. And then, you know, moving up the PL to the revenue side, you know, we, we use kind of one primary system to support our performance engineering side. Um, so one of the things we're really looking at, and I mean, we, we implemented it in 22, but kind of full implementation for us in 23 is how do you take it from it's one thing to find the issue, right? It's another thing to find the issue and rank it, like triage it across a whole fleet. And then it's a whole nother thing to 
do those two things and fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole nother thing to do those three things, fix it, track it, and expand that out to your fleet. So like, I think we're in kind of like buckets one and two right now where we yeah. have found them. We have mostly categorized them and we are sometimes fixing them. And I think just to be, I mean, I would say that to my bosses, right? I would say like, we're, yeah. we're, we're good to there, but where we should be is that, you know, those issues should pop up. They should flow through our workflow. They should get fixed. They should get tracked. We move on. And that applies to both OEM, like long-term service contracts and projects that we're self-performing. I almost don't look at them. Just the action is a little bit different, right? Instead of fixing it ourselves, you're, you've got it on a list that you're talking about with the OEM and you're just providing them with a tool. So I'd say that's, that's one focus. I mean, there's a lot of focuses in 23, but that, as it applies to a lot of what we're talking about, I'd say yeah. the performance engineering side is where I really want to see us shine in 23. On on that, like even on the technology side, what what gaps do you see like still, right? Like, and I guess like one, like a specific question, do you feel that it could, that it goes further than that, right? Like find, rank, fix, track. Do you think there's like a predict like eventually? And um, yeah, or or like, where do you see the the technology going or what are there like challenges that are not being solved? And maybe it is more on kind of that predictive side. I, I think I'm probably, I'm probably a little jaded against the predict side. If I'm being honest, I think I heard so much about predict for so long <laughs> about, and it was almost like it skipped the step of it's hard enough to find it, rank it. And when you find it, do it in a way that ultimately there's somebody on the other end of a wrench that actually needs to fix the damn thing. So like there may come a time where we're doing that really, really well. And it's worth talking about predicting it. I'm highly skeptical that that time is today. Um, I just, I've seen enough of like, Hey, this particular company is really good at showing you all the things that are wrong with your generating equipment, but the lists just keep getting longer, right? Because because the hard part, I mean that that is hard enough. Don't get me wrong. I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not doubting that that's hard, but taking that to action is equally hard, um, and it's hard enough on the wind side. Forget about it on the solar side. It's even harder, right? Because like the labor model, like you were talking about labor models on the wind side. I mean, the labor model on the solar side, something like one technician to a hundred megawatts or something, right? So, hundred megawatts is how many thousand panels, and right now, yeah, right. So, so again, I mean, it's not that you can't fix it, and it's not that those folks aren't well trained or typically well trained. It's more that if you if you're not doing it in a very seamless and very methodical and very regular and and kind of never fall behind like if you're not doing that like you're generally probably buried um and you probably need to play some catch up and get back to a spot where it's again so i would just say like if i think about where the value is at least as i sit here today i mean i feel like 80 90 percent of the value is way before you get to predict it's like just just find the place where you're losing megawatt hours, 
go fix that. Do that in a way that you can actually track it. Do that repeatedly for a year or two. And then maybe we can talk about predict. But like there's a, I will say one, one anecdote. And if this guy actually listens to this or listens to this <laughs> podcast, he will, he will know exactly who I'm talking about. But there were some <laughs> years ago that a company was really touting that they could tell me exactly when like my gearbox was going to fail and I kind of, and how many of them. And, and uh, yeah, I won't give away who any of these people were because certainly a lot of them are still in the industry. But so I said that to my big engineer that I was like, I was really close with. I said, Hey, they can, they can tell us like how many of these gearboxes are going to fail and when. And he said, I can too, all of them and soon. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, okay. He goes, I don't think we really need to know much more than that. I'm like, okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Fair so enough, fair enough. back to the predict point. I think we need to be living over here, get the stuff fixed. Yeah. And then predict will be valuable. What what levers on the fix? Like, so there's budget, right? Is that is that kind of the only I mean I I have a hunch that's not the only one, right? But like, how how do you think about that? Is it like you're the constraints? It is it is budget or like risk? I would imagine and like health and safety or right. If you you're have, saying like what's stopping you from fixing it, or like how do you make those decisions on like what to what to fix? Like outside, are there are there more things than just than just budget, right? To say like okay, we have hundred thousand dollars for the site to work with or whatever that number is per per year. Um and then we based off that we fix this or is does more go into it than just kind of like a, a number. It probably depends on what we're talking about, right? So if we're talking about like fixing something that's like that a part is broken or is going to break, like that's that's a little bit easier. That's that's pretty easy calculus. In other words, like, so if we're talking about blades, blades is mostly budget and risk, right? So, and with a heavy emphasis on risk, right? Of if I'm risking a blade snap, so then it's just kind of getting the right information to the dis decision makers, right? Of where you can say, listen, if you don't repair the category four, which will cost you $100,000 for that blade, you are absolutely risking a, you know, $1 million problem, right? So if you can, so for that particular problem, it's like, how well can you assess the risk of not fixing? Like, I think blades are definitely the unique, they're unique in that way. And the reason I say they're unique is because blades actually are a place where you can fix a problem before it becomes a really expensive problem, right? So like blades are its own, are their own animal. Because when I talk about like gearboxes, you know, gearboxes are different, right? I mean, generally, I'm not saying it's always this way, but generally you can essentially run them to failure, right? Other than particular failure modes. And really all you're talking about truly saving is crane mobilization. So, I mean, that that's part of the reason why the whole idea of like being able to predict to a day, which was bogus anyway, like when the gearbox is going to fail, didn't have a ton of value, right? Like I need to know if it's going to fail in the next few months. That's helpful. And vibration analysis is pretty good at being able to tell me that. So 
with gearboxes, it's all about then it's like, what can you do about it? Right? Can you can I derate? So gearbox is its own animal, right? Like, can you derate it? Can I make can I la- can I make it last? Right? And then it just becomes a payback calculus of, you know, how long do I want to stretch that thing out? Um, so I, you know, I put them in kind of those buckets. And then the bucket that is like on the performance side, it almost always makes sense. You know what I mean? It like almost the math almost never doesn't work in terms of like, if, if I do X, I increase generate, you know what I mean? If I'm not dealing on the OPEX side, it's generally like, you're just giving away money if you don't fix it. Because like we said, like these projects are CapEx focused, right? So I got to get everything I can out of these things while they're running. So if I'm actually leaving money on the table, I'm truly just leaving it on the table. And in worlds where there's PTCs, I'm leaving a lot on the table because those PTCs are done, right? Like it's, I just lost those and I don't get them back. Um, so, you know, it's one of the things in the IRA, right? The IRA is, is, there are there are solar IT sorry solar PTCs, which I am interested to see in the operating world how that changes things with solar. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. I mean, there was always value to the megawatt hours, but there is now an extra whatever twenty six twenty eight dollars value for the megawatt hour that before was kind of all upfront going to tax equity through an ITC. Um, anyway, I. Fully bounced all over the map on that particular. That one. was great, though. That was- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if yeah. any of it made sense at all, but it, was, it did. No, it did. It did. Yeah. Well, um, we are coming to a close, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So, one last question for you: okay. Is there anything that you wish we would have asked you, or anything that you think is really important about the industry or the work that you're doing that you would like our listeners to know about? That is great. Now you're asking me to like say what should you have asked? That's a good yeah. one. That's a good, yeah, that's tricky. I, I feel like one. I feel yeah. like that's like a mind like messing with somebody's <laughs> mind. Like I should do with my 13 year old. Like, yeah. Is there something I should be asking you right now that yeah. you did wrong? And they go like at me like what? Oh, that's tricky. And um, then they just turn around and leave, and they're like, "Yeah, no." They say, "No, I don't <laughs> think there's anything you need to know." That's yeah. actually right. They figure that out pretty quickly. Um, I, I've had the question before. And it, not even just like answering the question, but one of the things I do think about us as an industry is just how do we take the lessons we learned, hopefully, in previous gen. So I'll say like, how do we take the lessons that we've learned in wind and make sure we're applying them fully to solar? And how do we take the lessons we learned in both of those and fully apply them to storage um that's i would say that's that's a thing that i feel like we don't give enough credence to because we did learn a lot of tough lessons and a lot of them do apply and somehow it does feel like there's still a fair bit of like this is a new movie and it's it's like not a new movie that there's people out there, of course, because the companies are incentivized to do it. They're doing what they should be. They're trying to push product out there. But we all learned what that meant. So, okay. So I don't, I don't mean to say like we should all be the sky is falling, but can we take some of those lessons and apply it? I'd probably say that one. 
that's where I'd go. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to do Can I do two? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the other one that I, that I actually I should have led with is because it does kind of reverberate all through this. Um, is we all have to remember, particularly all of us like me who sit in this nice, warm, cushy little office that I'm in, that ultimately the decisions we're making impact somebody that actually is out in the field every day. And the things that we, the projects that we're building and the decisions we make have impacts on that person's, both their li- like their livelihood, but their safety. Um, and I think we would all do well to just remember that. And again, it's just a, it's just a, Take a little bit of a different view when we're whether we're doing a deal, whether a project is changing hands, whether we're, you know, firing an OEM is to remember that ultimately some person got up in the morning afterwards and had to go walk into what is not a safe environment, right? Like these are not inherently safe places. They are safe because people have good safety programs to make them safe. So and not to be a soapbox moment, but I, I because I kind of started in the field, but then I've been in a cushy office for a long time. Every once in a while, it, I like to like throw the cold water in my face to say, you know, that decision we're making impacts somebody who is not, you know, who is out in the field doing what is a really hard job. So, yeah, try to remember that. Yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy, thanks. Re- really appreciate you you sharing that, and I think that's a. Awesome way to to end this, and I also want to want to say too. You mentioned earlier that you kind of see yourself as a as a backup for for your team, and I'll say I, I really admire kind of your your leadership style and and the way that you've been so helpful for for our team too throughout throughout the years, and even sharing all this stuff today. Really, really appreciate appreciate that. So thanks, thanks again. Well, we appreciate you guys. I mean, we appreciate the the partnership here. Right. So, I mean, the, this industry is small and it is only working because there are some really key partnerships that we're all making. So, um, hey, we're going to have some exciting times. We're, there is nothing that is going to be boring about this industry for a long time. Buckle up. I don't think yeah, so. Exactly. I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is going to cool. be great. Thanks so much again for joining our podcast. And you did a phenomenal job. I'm glad you didn't just push it off. Sarah, we're going to like forward this when whoever listens to it, I'm going to forward it to my daughter and she'll have a completely different opinion about this. We think you did a good job. I don't know what she'll right. say. But, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks again so much. And, and I'm sure uh, you'll hear it live and, and get all the good feedback and maybe you'll get the vacation out of it there you go there you go beginning so hopefully it works (laughs) well yeah all right thanks both i appreciate it thanks for listening to this episode of climate chronicles brought to you by sky specs we hope you enjoyed it if you did please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes if you really liked it make sure to give us a five-star review see you next time